welcome to New Planet, a podcast where we inform and enable a sustainable lifestyle. Hello. 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 What's up? Another another day, another podcast, man. Great to see you in the forest, as uh, usual. Yeah, yeah, it's good to be here. Um, oh, we got a quote. Oh, nice. So, so repeat repeat appearance here by Mr. Martin Luther King Jr. We're just big fans. He's he's got a lot of good quotes. Um, this is the one that we chose for today. I am convinced that if we are to get on the right side of the world revolution, we as a nation must undergo a radical revolution of values. We must rapidly begin the shift from a thing-oriented society to a person-oriented society. Yes. And there, there you have it. Cool. Well, we're talking about transportation, which is definitely something that everyone uses on a societal level. Yeah. How do you, how do you get around, Xander? Um, how do you get, how do you I, get from point A to point B? Um, I drive. Yeah, me too. Or I walk. Yeah, that's how but it is for us, I guess, huh? Mostly drive. I I enjoyed when I was able to take the train or take the bus, but now that I live in the suburbs, it's uh, quite difficult. And well, it's not. I wouldn't say it's difficult. It's just really inconvenient, and it's just makes less sense to take a bus when I can get there and plus in half if you the were time. To, if you were to get a bus from, the, like, from uh, a bus to, like, a train station or something, you'd probably have to drive to the, like, you'd have to drive to the nearest bus station or no? Yeah, there are, like, parking rides, so you can go and park your car in the parking lot and then you hop yeah. on the bus. Yeah, it's the same with me if I were to the nearest bus stop that would bring me anywhere that I need to go is um, a drivable distance or bikeable, but it's insanely uphill to get back to my house. So it's not very like reasonable to do that, I guess. Um, right. And especially yeah, seems... when the buses come maybe every half hour. Yeah. That's a big thing is having the the times between, uh, between buses or trains be fast enough so that it's convenient for people to actually use it. Um, but it's can you and me both living in the suburbs, that's a huge problem in the U S and, and suburb like suburban life is it has become completely removed from public transport generally, um, with a few exceptions, mostly on like the East coast. But, um, you know, living in suburbs is, synonymous with like owning a car and being independent you know driving to work commuting to work on the highway i feel like that's a that's a very common thing you would see in like a in a movie or something you know sitting in traffic being angry having road rage because that's just what life is i guess when you live in the suburbs you gotta commute to work in your car yeah i I read a scientific paper published by the University 
of West England, where they analyzed the impact of commuting on 26,000 employees in England over a five-year period. And they found that each extra minute of commuting time reduces both job and leisure time satisfaction, but not overall life satisfaction, but the increased strain worsens mental health for workers. But ultimately, an additional 20 minutes of commuting per day has the same negative effect on job satisfaction as receiving a 19% pay cut. So that's to say spending more time standing on a crowded train or sitting in a mind-numbing in mind-numbing traffic can make you feel just as bad as earning less money. But the the metric for measuring satisfaction is I, I don't know, it's like I'm kind of skeptical on the the metric of satisfaction cuz it's kind of hard to measure but still on average from those 26,000 employees over a 5-year period they were able to see some correlation between job satisfaction and commute time. Yeah, I mean, nobody wants to sit in a bunch of traffic on the way to perhaps a job that they don't want to be at in the first place. Yeah. But let's let's try to talk a little bit here about just this current state of public transport, and it'll be focused generally in the U.S. uh, because that's that's where we're situated right now, and that's where Mm -hmm. it's most relevant to us. So... We can start with maybe some good statistics and uh, information about the public transport system here in the U.S. I would say <clears throat> maybe the the biggest, most clear and important statistic about public transit in the U.S. is that nine po- in 2018 there were 9.9 billion public transport trips by Americans um, just that year. Yeah, so... People need public transport in the U.S. Uh, I I know that I looked up information about what percentage of people use public transit uh, to like that they need it. For example, they use it daily or weekly, and it's about a tenth of the U.S. use public transit on a daily or weekly basis to get around from you know place to place. Wow, ten percent is way too small. It no, should it be is so much higher. It is, and. Um, maybe that's not in the good news section. We should save that for later. <laughs> um, <laughs> Sneak but peek more, of the bad news. <laughs> more, more, more good news about public transit. Let's see here. Uh, economically, public transit and the transportation industry in the U.S. is a very economically valuable industry. For every dollar that we invest in public transport, it yields $4 in economic returns. So, I mean, that makes sense. Uh, like, I live in King County, and we're working on the light rail. And the places where they're building new stops have so much high-density growth. Like, there are companies building apartment complexes and grocery stores to service the the light rail stop. And that, you know, allows people to work closer to where they commute and you know walk a lot more which is just better for their mental health and the environment so yeah it's it's shocking that we don't invest more in it because there's a direct correlation between transportation infrastructure and economic growth 
Right. And to play devil's advocate, this is something I came across doing research for this episode, is that you do mention, and even uh, where I get a lot of these statistics, which is the public, uh, tr- American Public Transportation Association, both they and, like you have just mentioned, say that, yeah, in places where public transit is growing, where there's perhaps a new train station that becomes very popular, um, houses and businesses in that area will likely see an uptick in like economic uh, opportunity and economic return. But at the same time, that leads commonly to gentrification of that area. And it was a concern that like, well, we're going to talk about pretty soon the Americans for Prosperity, which is a a conservative group that works against public transit initiatives. But one of their complaints is that, yes, new uh, new public transportation sites and, and areas where public transit is successful will eventually lead to gentrification. And it's true. It does happen. But a, a solution to that would be simply investing in public transit while also investing in uh, affordable housing in that area because mm-hmm. it's it's sort of like the green new deal you know the green new deal encompasses a ton of different issues you can't just invest in one thing and we were talking about this earlier before the episode there's no real like silver bullet you have to it's so multifaceted you have to invest in a bunch of different things and so for example when it comes to public transit and that perhaps leading to gentrification in in urban areas you also have to couple that with affordable housing for people that are going to be living near the the transit stations because you don't want their rent or you know their their housing values to skyrocket and then essentially just have them sent away from from their for, for not being able to afford where they where they've been living so it is true that like you said the places in King County there there are businesses investing in areas around these public transit centers and building markets and whatnot, but you also have to be careful with um, with the potential negative consequences of that. Yeah, I agree. It's definitely multifaceted. Well, now that we've highlighted that public transportation is it's important, a lot of people rely on it. It's a $71 billion industry. It employs 430,000 people, more than that. But let's talk about some of the not so great news about public transit, which is sort of the competition that it has with cars and the state of cars and car usage and driving in the U.S. right now. So in 2013, a study found that 86% of U.S. workers get to work in a car. That does line up with the fact that, like I said earlier, 10% of people, about 10% of people use public transport to get from place to place um, daily or weekly. And, uh, oh man, in 2016, Americans drove 3.22 trillion miles on U.S. roads, which is, uh, it's a lot of miles. (laughs) (laughs) Say that? Yeah. And it was up from 3.1 trillion in 2015. But you got to imagine that most of that comes from trucks, right? Hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. It's all those Amazon sales, man. Yeah, I mean, I think that, yeah, people drive a lot, obviously, but 
the the cars that are on the road constantly and driving the longest distances are trucks and they got to drive across the country state to state whatnot and i think that's actually one of the industries that's probably going to be greener hopefully in the near future like electric trucks and stuff automated Um, electric trucks yeah right and we have this incredible train infrastructure across the middle of the u.s and yeah, wasn't that like a whole thing when the U.S. was like uh, invented? You know, yeah, the railroad. Huge... Yeah, the railroads. <laughs> I remember those days. <laughs> yeah, whatever happened to those, huh? I mean, we still got them, but it's it's. I, I wonder just how much more expensive it is to use trains compared to trucks, and why more companies drive trucks instead of use trains yeah i i would imagine and well why don't we just transition into it now which is how we got to this point of of such like crappy public transportation infrastructure but the investment switched from from public transit and like trains and whatnot to highways yeah in the 50s man yeah and thanks eisenhower <laughs> and that's like the main reason why why we everybody drives why the suburbs um have no public transit because right the instead sprawl. of yeah instead of like you know you okay maybe i was wrong earlier when i said that uh, suburbs are synonymous with with highways and like driving by uh, driving cars by yourself or whatnot because it's not necessarily true uh in europe they have suburbs too, but when they built their suburbs and new towns, they built them around public transportation centers and whatnot and trains. Mm-hmm. They still have highways. You can have both, but their suburbs generally still use public transit. It's it's not yeah. like one or the other, you know? Um, th- a difference about Europe as well is the, like, there are more wealthy people that live in urban cores than in america whereas in america the the wealth is in the suburban areas or outside of the urban core so there's probably some correlation between transportation infrastructure and where wealthy people live yeah but i'm like i'm surprised that there isn't better transportation infrastructure to get to urban cores from the suburbs but I mean, yeah. car, cars are cars are you know very convenient and nice and I don't know I, it's just how how much worse does traffic need to be and how much more expensive do cars need to be to own for people to stop using them and you know yeah. instead of having two cars per household transitioning to maybe one car per household. Like I, I have friends who live in Europe, and most of them, like their family, only has one car. Like it's uncommon to have multiple cars in your family. Most yeah. people live in like closer to city centers and rely more on public transportation. It's it's interesting listening to them talk about how they get to school or how they would get to school, because I mean I drove myself or had. My parents drive me or like we'd have like a carpool thing going on, whereas they would take the city bus. Like there aren't even school buses. People just ride the the regular bus. So 
crazy. As, that's weird, right? <laughs> <laughs> and in the U.S., there's a reason why activities like this aren't as common as they might be in Europe. And one of those reasons is special interests that are more interested in advancing the progress of, for example, the automobile industry or the fossil fuel industry. One of the most prominent organizations or companies that is doing this is the Coke Industries, which is run by the Coke brothers. Now, if you don't know who the Coke brothers are, they are part of the Coke family that owns Coke Industries. Coke Industries is a multinational corporation that is mainly involved in petroleum, you know, fossil fuels, and many other aspects of, of everyday life. And it's unfortunate. They're, a, they're one of the most rich companies in the U.S. It says that they had annual revenues of $110 billion. So it's huge. They have, as you can imagine, quite a bit of influence on U.S. politics. And so part of their enterprise, I guess you could say, is this organization called Americans for Prosperity. Americans for Prosperity is, you know, a libertarian, conservative, political advocacy group, you know, in line with the Koch brothers' views. And what they have been focusing on recently is anti-public transit advocacy or action. To give a good example of what they do is they are able to mobilize these local chapters, much like Citizens Climate Lobby has their own local chapters that focus on things that are relevant to their local area. So in Nashville, here's a good example, they, the local government in Nashville was proposing a transit initiative that was $5.4 billion. It was going to create 26 miles of light rail, a brand new bus network, and a 1.8 mile tunnel for buses and trains so that it could bypass the city center and not have to get stuck in traffic like cars. And so this was going to be paid for by raising the state sales tax to 10.25% and also raising other business taxes. And even businesses in Nashville were urging voters to endorse this spending because the city is projected to increase its population by a million by 2040, which is a lot. And Nashville already apparently has a huge problem with traffic. So this was big. And in reality, this is good for people. It reduces traffic. It increases job opportunities for people that are going to be creating and running these public transit operations. Uh, there's a lot of benefits to public transit. But this Americans for Prosperity chapter in Nashville, with the help of a somewhat, to me at least, like scary software called i360, it is also a data service built by the Koch brothers. And what it does is it consolidates your voter registration information, your consumer data, and your social media activities. So it creates a profile on people, which, I mean, I guess we shouldn't be surprised that that's so easy nowadays, but they this software does that, and then the Americans for Prosperity activists go around door-to-door looking for and talking to people that this software shows will align more with their views of being against these taxes that will pay for the pay for the transit initiative and yeah and so it unfortunately it was actually extremely successful the bill was or the ballot was looking very good and it looked like the public transit bill would pass but after all of the work that these Americans for Prosperity people 
did, um, it actually became a landslide victory for the anti-transit uh, side of the of the debate, I guess. And so this is an example of what public transit is up against. It's against these very uh, wealthy special interest groups like the Koch brothers and people who have investment in cars and the automobile industry and the fossil fuel industry, which is not synonymous with public transit, which would rather take cars off the road and have people take these public transportation means and, you know, electrify the grid as opposed to using fossil fuels. So I guess it begs the question as to, like, what are the solutions to this and why are people like the Koch brothers so opposed to the potential solutions that will result in, you know, a more sustainable transportation industry and a transition away from from cars or away from fossil fuels, rather, I should say. How does it get better to increase investment in public transit or just make uh, transportation more sustainable in general? I know that electric vehicles are one of the potential solutions that people are very excited about. Right. But we have to talk about battery electric vehicles versus grid connected electric vehicles. And don't get me wrong, electric vehicles are better than internal combustion engine vehicles. Uh, like, for example, some advantages of electric vehicles are the lower operating and maintenance costs. There is no tailpipe, so there aren't pollutants. Right. Coming from the tailpipe, and then you have the significant reduction in CO2 emissions, but it really depends on where you're getting your electricity from, because if you're connected to a coal power plant, and that's how you charge your battery-powered electric vehicle, you're not real like, you're still making a difference, but it's, like, it's, it's multifaceted. We have to solve the problem of where, how we're producing our power, and then how yeah well, we were messing, electric vehicles yeah go ahead we were we were messing around with the this little tool like this uh it's called enroads by climateinteractive.org um, it was it was featured in one of the citizens climate lobby monthly meetings but you can find it at that website citizens citizen or climateinteractive.org and it has all of the different primary sources of energy on a graph and then it has these different uh sliding scales where you can change like your energy supply your transportation if it's electrified or not simply said if you just put the slide the the scale for electrification of transportation which essentially means like electric vehicles and whatnot if that goes all the way up the corresponding graph that shows the temperature change which is for business as usual, up to 4.1 degrees Celsius increase by the end of the century. Um, we need to get it down to two, ideally. If you put <laughs> electrification all the way up, which is highly incentivized, not only does the temperature change go down by just 0.1 degrees, but the um, primary sources of energy, coal, increases because there's no incentive to actually get your energy from renewable sources with by just creating electric cars. It needs to be coupled with, you know, incentivizing renewable energy and um, a lot of other things. So, Right. Like, this doesn't mean that electric vehicles... Like, electric vehicles still pollute. 
you have to manufacture them, you have to harvest the resources to build the batteries, and then right. because they are heavier than uh, internal combustion vehicles, they're, they are subject to more wear and tear on the tires, which produces particulate matter, but the, uh, the brake pads could be used less frequently because of regenerative braking, but it's it's not electric cars are not or battery powered electric vehicles are not a silver bullet. What's the grid connected cars are literally electric cars that they don't so they don't use a battery they're connected physically. Right, like think about like a light rail, you know, they're it's connected to directly to the grid. Right. Or you can have like electric buses that are connected like in Seattle in downtown they're all connected to the little wires above or whatever. Yeah, wires above them. Wait, so with a can you you can do that with an individual car too? Um, or like are we po- just talking possibly? Like, I think. Or when we're talking like about, we need to connected. focus more on you know, bus like buses and right, trains yeah. that are connected. Like of these course. are better solution, a better long term solution than just having cars also connected to the grid. Yeah. So it's 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 multifaceted, and I like I feel like we've said that word so many times, but it's hard to just say okay. It tends like, to be. All, a, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Welcome to the problem with sustainability. The world. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and it's not to say that it's the end of cars. Like cars are such a like they're ingrained in our society now. Right. It's it's inevitable. Cars are never going to go away because and they shouldn't really. Like hey, we still got have... horses. <laughs> right. Let's just go back to horses for sure. Um if we, like you know, if we can create these driverless electric cars and then also have them supplied with renewable energy, great. Like we should we're not going to going to suddenly like tear up all of our highways and not have any cars. But it's not black and white. Like, for example, the Americans for Prosperity organization, they're very anti-public transit because they think it's a waste of taxpayer money and that, oh, it's we're using outdated and unpopular technology like buses and trains, which, first of all, ridiculous. How are trains outdated? Like, the bullet train in Japan is not... I've been on it's, that, man. It's floating. How it's is incredible. That an, it's freaking crazy. It's so okay, chill. So, <laughs> like ridiculous point that it's they fast it's comfortable it's convenient like the trains come every couple minutes you don't get to the station and have to go through an insane amount of security and like get there two hours early to make sure to check your bag like you just have your ticket you walk up to the the station you walk on with your bag you <laughs> put it above you and then you yeah. go to a different city like it's the tra- yeah. the tickets are around the same price as a plane ticket but just all the additional costs that come with flying. Like, we need to change our perspective on what transportation looks like. Yeah. I mean, I think that their complaint that these technologies are outdated is simply an American problem because our public transport is outdated. And that's, right. We haven't invested in it. That's our fault. And then, the, then they try to stop the investment in it by complaining that it's outdated because of right. their own efforts to not allow investment in it. Like, are you kidding? Well, it's also, like, the thing about public transportation is it's a, it's a spiral, you know? If there is a low 
ridership rate. Mm-hmm. It's uh, less convenient. It's more expensive, and then it becomes then less people ride it, so it becomes yeah. more expensive and less convenient, and then it gets to the point where no one wants to ride the bus or the train, or very few people do because of the inconvenience or the the cost. So yeah, there are definitely some changes that we need to make. No, and, and, it, uh, and they will be coupled with changes with uh, driving as well. But that industry has to become more sustainable. But, you know, we're pretty clear advocates of public transit. It is it is a much more sustainable way to get around. You know, in, in, all, like in all meanings of the word sustainable, it's better for the environment. It, you use less space. You don't have to have these multi-lane superhighways. You can just fit a bunch of people on a train. And cut through all of these city streets where there's traffic you just there's nothing better than that right like oh i do miss i do miss riding the train it's just so chill you know you don't have to worry about getting there you know the it drives itself or someone drives it for you you know depending on where you are and like (laughs) i don't know it just makes more sense but i like to offer a solution to this mobility problem because we're so dependent on carbon and cheap fuel right now, we definitely need to make some changes. And so three, three changes that we could make. Number one, we need to establish an agency that can develop a plan and facilitate its effective implementation, right? Pretty, pretty obvious first step there, don't you think, Aiden? Like a, like a government agency? Yeah, you could say a government yeah. agency. Sure. And then the second step would be to terminate the existing programs and plans to expand airport and highway capacity for more oil-fueled mobility and then redevelop human and financial resources towards introducing grid-connected vehicles. So that makes sense, you know, reduce the expansion of airports and highways so that makes it more yeah, uh, inconvenient to drive, more expensive to drive. So people are disincentivized from driving or flying. So there's a transition away from that. And then the the third would be to impose an escalating tax on oil use for transportation. I know people don't like paying tax. I understand, but we need to use taxes to disincentivize behavior. That's what, that's what we're doing at Citizens Climate Lobby, huh? Right, so a tax, an escalating tax on oil could be used to uh, help individuals and businesses retire stranded assets like jets and motor vehicles that are fueled by only petroleum. And then the funds could be used to stimulate private, state, and local investment in electric mobility infrastructure, much like how the current taxes are used to expand aviation and road infrastructure. So it's kind of... You know, it's keep keep the plan, develop a plan and make keep it accountable, reduce or make it more costly to fly or drive, make it more inconvenient, and then tax that behavior and use the funds to uh, transition away from the oil-fueled mobility to a electric mobility infrastructure because we like we have to pay for the transportation somehow and 
attacks on motor vehicles makes makes sense. Yeah, I mean, we use um, oh boy, nineteen point in twenty sixteen we used nineteen point six million barrels of oil per day in the U.S. Nice. and seventy percent, seventy point nine percent of that was just in the transportation system. So, I mean, we got to get away from it. It's an addiction. We got to get off <laughs> it's the just stuff. so cheap, man. <laughs> we got to get off the stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it's a huge problem. Electric infrastructure, I think, is step number one. And then powering that electric infrastructure in a renewable, sustainable way. But, like, we can't do one without the other. They, we need to do both of them. And I think this is one of the problem, like one of the issues in the U.S. that is really the most dependent on like local level activism, mm-hmm. because in general, generally speaking, like you're not looking at the White House or something for a city plan to invest in like public transit, right? Like that's right. your that's your representative, like your mayor, anybody, and you have to convince your own constituents in that area that they want. Um, that public transit. So this is really like an opportunity for people to pay attention to their local politics and, and, you know, have fact-based discussions about this stuff because you have examples of these other organizations that are fighting against your own interest to have good public transit in your cities. So. Right. And I just kind of want to end on a, a note of citizens climate lobby. So episode nine, we talked about, Ian's experience and what Citizens Climate Lobby is. I uh, signed up during the episode, which uh, if you haven't listened to episode nine, go go check it out and sign up for your local chapter. But I've been getting emails with just great information about what's happening in Kirkland and the King County area. For So for example, there was a survey put out by the Kirkland city government asking people how they get around and what changes they're looking for so i in my survey i said that i want more bike lanes and safer bike lanes because when i used to live in the netherlands when i studied abroad the the infrastructure for biking is incredible like the bike lane is separate from the road and it's just so safe and convenient to bike and that's something that i miss and biking in america is kind of terrifying like there's just this little (laughs) strip between you and cars and then cars have to pull in through the bike lane to park or sometimes they block the bike lane so it's just not a very safe long-term solution especially after seeing the possibility for incredible bike infrastructure like i did while i was in the netherlands and then uh, a second thing that citizen climate lobby sent out was a so the Puget Sound region is tr- in trying to implement a clean fuel standard and it would reduce greenhouse gas pollutants by 50% below the 1990 levels by 2030 and they're developing a a draft to take to the local government to implement this clean fuel standard and there was a link to say that you agree with it and would like to see this change and like what the the rules of implementation would look like and so i I don't know being a part of citizens climate lobby for only a couple weeks i've been supplied with consistent information that is relevant to where i live locally and 
Like, I just want to tell everyone to please check out their chapter and sign up because all I did was put in my information and I get emails. I haven't gone to a meeting yet because I missed the, the one for November happened right before I signed up and then they don't have one in Kirkland for December. But 2020, I'll be a regular. And you guys <laughs> should also be because it's an opportunity to meet other individuals who are passionate about sustainability and just inform yourself more about what's happening on a local level to make these changes in things like transportation infrastructure, which is extremely dependent on a local level. This has been episode 11 of the New Planet podcast, where we talk about transportation. We hope you enjoyed it. Feel free to follow us on Instagram at New Planet or send us an email at newplanetpod at gmail.com. I'm Xander Kipp. Thanks for listening. I'm Aiden Hirsch. See you next time.